What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Biblical Masculinity Podcast. My name is Moses Birdie, and I'm the host and founder of this movement where we are striving to restore and reforge biblical masculinity in the modern man. Today, and actually for the next few episodes, we are going to be talking about relationships and specifically how to forge a godly one with your lady. Whether she be a girlfriend, a fiance like I have, or a wife, I think you guys will get a lot from this episode. As always, like, smash that subscribe button, drop a rating on whatever platform you're listening on, and then go connect with us on social. Uh, We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter right now. And we soon will be on YouTube, hopefully, fingers crossed. So be on the lookout for that. Um, But before we dig into the concept of biblical relationships, I just wanted to drop a little announcement, um, touch on a thing real quick. First and foremost, big shout out to all of our new followers and subscribers and to anyone and everyone who's reached out via direct message to us um, in the last few weeks. I reply to all of my DMs uh, and I do it as quickly as I can, though not always as quickly as I'd like to. But I'd just like to thank you guys for your support. I really do appreciate it. It helps to inform the content that we produce for you all. And I want the content that we drop here to be more in-depth so that we can help you guys live out both your faith and your masculinity in a more action-oriented and a more fruitful way. But in order to do that, I need to know what you guys need. What type of resources do you need? And so we're going to be doing a survey on our Instagram. It'll be in our Instagram stories highlights because that is a perennial feature, meaning that it's there all the time and it will be there for as long as we keep it there. So somebody reading this in October 2020 can do the survey and tell us what they want to hear about and what they want to get you know, in depth on. Um, and somebody in October 2025 can do the same. So it'll be on the stories highlights on our Instagram. It'll be a short, quick, painless survey. So if you wouldn't mind jumping over there and knocking that out, it would be greatly appreciated and it will help us to uh, start creating that in-depth content that's going to help you guys take more decisive action um, that's going to be more life-changing for you guys and it's going to drive you closer to Christ. All right, as far as announcements go, that's all I've got. So let's dive into some of the relationship stuff. There's a lot of scripture that talks about being in relationships, you know, but there's a few general principles outlined in scripture that I think make an important foundational precursor to our topic today. All right. Genesis says uh, in the creation story, God says, sorry, it's not good for man to be alone. You know, so he creates a wife as a suitable helper for Adam. We also understand that in the fall of man, in the book of Genesis, all men are sinful now. And because we're all in sin, we are fundamentally imperfect. And yet in the New Testament, God says to be perfect as he is perfect. So obviously, we understand this to be a losing battle. And until we die, until we're in heaven with our creator, we ought to strive to be set apart, to be holy in every aspect of our lives, including those of our relationships. But the truth is that we're not suited to be in relationship with one another as long as we're in sin. But because we will never not be in sin, we need to get as much of the egregious sins out of the picture 
as, pos as much as possible, as quickly as possible, before we can qualify ourselves to lead a woman in an intimate relationship. We need to be biblical men before we enter into relationships and before we can effectively and scripturally lead a family, lead a church, or lead a community. So what this particular episode will be about is how to pour a biblical foundation. We need to fix ourselves first, gentlemen. So what does a biblical man look like? We've already touched on this in some ways, but a biblical man is able to protect, to provide, and to preside. Strength, provision, and leadership being the three fundamental pillars of biblical masculinity. But in order to be a biblical leader, we need to understand the predicates of leadership. Your own foundations need to be set in biblical doctrine before you can build a family or community. Obviously, now this can't be done in a day, can't be done in a month or a year. It's a lifelong commitment to learning and growing as we walk through life with our Lord. So it applies just as equally now to men who are married as to the single gentleman here. All right, but regardless of where you are in the journey, doctrine is incredibly important because it's the filter through which we interpret our lives. And specific to this episode, in developing biblical masculinity first within ourselves, we're going to be going over some foundational doctrines that I believe will help pour that foundation. And the, the doctrines that I want to focus on specifically are utter depravity, sanctification, authority and inerrancy of scripture, fruits of the spirit, and although the last one isn't technically considered doctrine, it's the importance of theology. Now, it's not your typical exposition on relationships, but uh, regardless, I promise that these will help to provide the mindset and the framework uh, that you're going to need to get your feet on solid ground, okay? First, before we get into any of that stuff, there's something that I want you to know as you listen to this episode that you that I want you to understand. I framed this episode and the rationale that I'm using to get my point across in a way that might seem convoluted to some. It certainly seemed convoluted to Becca when I was telling her about it and kind of explaining my mind to her. If it's not something that I am practicing or have practiced myself and seen success in, I don't want to pass that on to you. And so, because I'm in a relationship with Becca, she is the sounding board for me. Regardless, it's incredibly important that you don't see this episode as a, a checklist, a get right with Jesus type of checklist, because that's not what it's about. All right. Making sure that you're a man worth following, it's not an arbitrary set of checkpoints that are supposed to be noted and completed and then discarded. Instead, they're, they're you know, a set of perpetual foundational truths and ethics that, that undergird our, our principles and our actions as men. So this episode might have some actionable items, but the focus ought to be less on those and more on the foundational truths that those items complement. Okay? I hope that makes sense. Grab a pen and paper. You're going to want to take some notes. Let's get it. Doctrine number one, utter depravity, okay? The doctrine that mankind is absolutely depraved and absolutely broken. 
Man is dead in our sins and trespasses. Not slightly dead, not mostly dead, very dead. And a man dead in sin cannot do good. There's a few proof texts that I want to go over with you guys in regard to that principle. Okay, absolute depravity, uh, utter, sorry, utter depravity. The first one is Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 6. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among them we, whom we all once walked and lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And you raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says, All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3.12 says, When you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. We were born sinful, and we're going to die sinful. The natural man, as we like to call him, is at odds with the word and the will of God. We cannot do good in the eyes of God. And we have to realize and recognize that we're broken and we're imperfect. And that all the good that you and I do is meaningless without the sacrifice of Christ. Let that sink in. Okay, We suck at being good. We all do. And we need Jesus, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, sacrificed on the cross for the redemption of mankind. Why is this important? What good is it in reminding us that we are not good? I'd argue that it's because of our pride, guys. Unorthodox point of view? Yes. Okay, necessary? Also yes. Not just in relationships either. You need to approach all of life with the understanding that we are not the source of what is right. And more likely than not, we're the source of what is wrong. And once we put our pride in its place, we're going to be in a better position to do the things that we know are imperative to be in wholesome relationships. We'll be in a better position to admit that we're wrong, to find common ground with our significant other, to, to compromise on things. Not in a bad way, like to, to give ground where we need to. You know, there are hills to die on and understanding and discerning which ones those are. Genuinely sacrificing for our significant other. All of these things are predicated on understanding how not okay we are in our sinfulness. The second doctrine that I want to talk about is the doctrine of sanctification. All right. We have to understand that because of our utter depravity, we require the absolute and sufficient atonement of Jesus. 
you cannot do this alone. Neither can you lead your significant other in a righteous way by yourself. Constant submission to Jesus is key. We have to constantly be in submission to our headship. All right, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hebrews 10, verse 10 says, And by that will which... And by that will we have been sanctified. Wow. And by that will, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Romans six ten. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then First Peter two twenty four. He himself bore our sins on his body, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Guys, what this means is without Jesus, we are unable to do good or to glorify God. Likewise, without Jesus, you cannot be a good husband. We need Jesus. First Peter says that he bore our sins, that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. Guys, we can't live in righteousness unless we're constantly seeking after the one that makes us righteous. We ought to be in full submission to Jesus, now and forever. And only then can we develop godly fruits of the Spirit that will make us excellent husbands and fathers. There's another very important scripture that I want to touch on. 1 Corinthians 11.3 But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Okay? The head of the, every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So how then does Christ exercise headship over us? I would say that that's by our submission to him and our meditation on his word. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 15. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all of the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. How does Christ exercise his headship over us? When we submit to him. How do we submit to him? We meditate on his word. We understand his and we obey his commands. How does a young man keep his way pure? Living according to his word. This is one of the most important points for me to drive home because it's there's so many intangibles attached to it. You know, full submission means that that when he says give, you give. When he says sacrifice, you sacrifice. When he says quit your job, you quit your job. And when he says nothing at all, then you keep praying, you keep reading, you keep praising, and you know without a shadow of a doubt that he's the God who provides. Full submission means everything. We give everything. It also means that you're constantly seeking intimacy. 
closeness, oneness with God. How do we do that? Prayer, fasting, studying his word. The scriptures, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 say, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. When you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. The Word of God is living and active. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Guys, if that's not reason enough to be in Scripture, I don't know what is. But if you want to hear from God, read the words that He already gave us. You know, I, In fact, I believe that's the only way that you can truly know what God's saying. We need to make sure that we're operating as, as much as possible within the parameters that God sets for his people. But the only way I, I think to do that is to prioritize the study of his scripture. You know, theology, law, ecclesiology, epistemology, eschatology, all of it, all of the above, the whole gamut. We have to operate in full submission to Jesus because we can do nothing without Christ. And if we truly understand the magnitude of his sacrifice for us, then we do it as an act of worship and not just to clean ourselves up for a relationship. The next doctrine I want to touch on is the authority and inerrancy of Scripture. If we're to live our lives by a set of rules, parameters, maxims, whatever you want to call it, then we need to be able to place our trust in those things, understanding that they are a firm foundation, and preferably, ideally, I would say, one that doesn't shift with the culture as we are seeing now. As men who wish to be leaders, not only in our homes, but in every aspect of our lives, we need to understand that Scripture is that firm foundation. It is the fundamental rule book to which we apply as a filter for our entire life, and that it's the perfect word and will of God inspired by Him. 1 Timothy 3.16, this is how we know this to be true. You know, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. These are the words of God spoken out, God-breathed. I think the Greek in that is, is I'm going to butcher it, theanustas, or something along those lines. God-breathed. Another very important set of verses um, one of them is John 14, 6. Jesus says to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus here is saying that he is the truth. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning, before the creation of the world, before time, before all of that, the Word existed. And God is the Word. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So from these three verses, we understand that God is the word. God spoke the word. God is the standard for truth. And therefore, God equals the word equals the truth. The word is truth. So between 1 Timothy 3, 16, saying that all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
and John 14, John 1, 1, John 17, John makes it very clear that Scripture is breathed out by God and is authoritative in our lives. If we understand this premise, then as we apply the last, the previous framework of full submission to Jesus, you know, by spending time in Scripture devoted to studying, we'll naturally take to heart the principles that are contained in Scripture. And these develop within us the fruits of the Spirit, of which make for excellent leaders and excellent husbands, and they're evidence of our supreme ownership and of our sanctification. On that note, the fruits of the Spirit are a very, very important foundational set of ethics that we need to think of and implement as precursors to us being in relationships. Now, the fruits of the Spirit are a biblical term. It's a, it's a biblical term that defines nine attributes of a person living in accordance with the Scripture and living in step with the Holy Spirit. When we humble ourselves before God, we repent of our sins, and we keep in prayer, fasting, and the study of Scripture and the law, then we will naturally migrate towards these fruits and exhibit them in our lives. Um, so for those of you who wanted checklists, <laughs> this is about as close as we're going to get today. Um, this is the most, the two most fundamental of them. All right, the fruits of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. Do the former, steer clear of the latter. In Galatians 5, Paul is telling the uh, church of Galatia, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, gentleness, and self-control. And yet, how can one claim to understand good without understanding evil as well? You know, so... Um, just as darkness is understood by its relationship to light, so good must be interpreted by its contrast to evil. So in that same way, Paul also talks about the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. These things are in contrast to one another. The fruits of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. The fruits of the Spirit, I would say, are some of the best prerequisites that you can have to dating, marriage, and leadership. Do the former. Steer clear of the latter. These prove that you're in step with the Holy Spirit. Finally, I believe that a strong biblical theology is incredibly important as a prerequisite to being in a healthy Christian relationship. Okay, there's a reason that it's last on this list, and it's because it's the capstone here, all right, the final prerequisite, although it's not the final qualification to masculinity because those goalposts move as you level up. Um, it's the final prerequisite here, I think. But I want to lead with a question here. Have you ever had to work under somebody who had absolutely no idea what they were talking about? Or have you ever had to play on a team where the team captain was completely inept or mostly inept? Have you ever had to defer to somebody to which you knew more than they did about the related subject matter? Ignorance undermines credibility. We've already established that in accordance with 1 Corinthians 11, um, Paul says, but I want you to, uh, to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, the head of Christ is God. How can we be the head of our homes and of our marriages and our relationships if we are ignorant of Scripture? 
How can I be in a biblical, scripturally based relationship if I don't understand that scripture? How can we be in a relationship with somebody that we do not know? The truth is you can't. And I've heard so many people, some of them are my good, strong, long-time Christian friends. They're not, they're not new believers, you know, and they say that theology isn't important. But to me, that's like saying that you don't care enough about your wife to get to know her. Let that sink in. Do we care enough about Jesus, about our Savior, to get to know him? Theology is the backbone to which we apply scripture. It informs the credibility of scripture, which grants credibility to you as a man as you live according to it. Theology is incredibly important to your walk with God in that you are required to teach your spouse and your children, but if you don't understand who God is and why you believe what you believe, then you lack the credibility to lead your family due to your ignorance. Plain and simple. I would also submit that a firm understanding and education of theology helps you to keep your family on track. Okay, The world's full of false doctrine and false teachers, the false prophets, and I believe, um, and this is my opinion, that when people fail to understand who God is, then they have a tendency to misrepresent Jesus. They misrepresent God, and they misrepresent the gospel. Um, and by doing so, they create falsehoods in which they live and they preach. So we see that, or we see them develop a doctrine that's based on half-truths or mistruths um, that lead to contradictions in Scripture. And what that does is, is it impairs their witness, and it discredits the message of the gospel. So it's very, very dangerous to pursue the Great Commission, which is our primary directive as Christians, uh, without understanding the God to which we are proclaiming. And so a, a firm education uh, and understanding of theology helps to keep our families away from false doctrine so that we can see it for what it truly is and we can fall back on the true gospel and what the scriptures really say. But theology is important. Hashtag theology matters. Gentlemen, I know this is a lot of information and a lot of proof text to dig through as well. So let's recap a little bit. First and foremost, if we want to be men that have long-lasting, fruitful relationships, then we need to make sure that we ourselves are in the right place first. Only then can we be leaders to beautiful and God-honoring women. To do that, we need to humble ourselves, understanding that we're broken, wretched men in need of a savior. We don't have it right all the time. Understanding this helps us to approach life and, and by extension, approach our relationships from a humble perspective, stifling and pushing down our pride so that we can be set more sacrificial, loving, compassionate, tempered, and grace-filled people. We also understand that our salvation not only sanctifies us once and for all through, through the sacrifice of Christ, um, washing away our sin for all time, but it drives us to be more like Christ. And as God replaces our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh that desire to do his will, Ezekiel 36, we crave intimacy with him. 
And this intimacy comes often in the form of prayer, fasting, uh, worship, and studying scripture. We know that we can rely on scripture to be authoritative as the benchmark to which we measure all things, because they are the words of God himself. God is the word, and the word is truth. Not your truth, not his truth, not her truth, not subjective truth, but absolute, objective truth, and it's absolutely authoritative for us today, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on this earth, and forevermore. It is, it was, and it will always be authoritative. We know that by obedience to the Scripture and the Holy Spirit, we exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are in contrast to the works of the flesh. As we pursue these fruits of the Spirit, and as we walk in step with Jesus— these are great indicators to whether we're walking in step with Jesus. But they're also great indicators as to whether we're acting as biblical men ought to. Finally, we love God enough to know him by studying what the Bible says about him. This is the realm of theological studies. Knowing who God is helps to inform the context behind passages of Scripture. It helps to indicate errors and uh, contradictions in interpretation and implementation of Scripture. You can't claim Jesus as your headship if you don't know who he is. You can't lead a family or community in a faith to which you fundamentally know nothing about. Your understanding of who God is and what he's done is the predicate for leadership in this context. Guys, I want to encourage you to do something, okay? Pray about this when you get the chance. All right, Ask God to make you into the man that he intends for you to be, first of all. Pray that he humbles you so that you're open to being led by the Spirit through your relationships. Pray that God renews you in a craving for in-depth revelation of Scripture that profoundly draws you closer to him and reinforces your theology. And then pray that God reveals himself to you in Scripture. And that as you walk with him and his spirit sanctifies you, you develop the fruits of the spirit that are going to lead others to Jesus and to help you to be a man after God's own heart. As always, be very Berean in your gathering of wisdom in accordance with Acts 17. All right, cross-reference my words with scripture. I'm not infallible. I'm just a man. But I hope that this message helps you to develop in yourself the mentality and fruits of the Spirit that are, in my humble opinion, required to lead in godly relationships and community. Again, if you got anything out of this, guys, smash that subscribe button so that you'll be notified when we drop our weekly podcast, especially since the next couple are going to be complementary in nature to this one within the context of relationships. We want you guys to be notified when we drop new content, so make sure to subscribe. Um, also, leave us a rating review. Part of joining a movement like this is, is the community aspect of it, or the communal aspect of it. We've got a total following of just shy of 200 guys right now, but only around 10% uh, of that are seeing this podcast. So help us spread this message. Be the reason that another man hears this message. 
This is the easiest way to do that. You know, hit that little five stars on whatever platform you're listening on to leave us a rating. And if you want to encourage your fellow men, leave a comment or, or, or review. This allows essentially the algorithms that run these platforms to know that our message is one that's worth hearing. And then they'll recommend us to other listeners from there. Now, if you really want to go the extra mile, Share this podcast on your social media. Share it with your friends or your family or someone who you think is going to benefit from hearing it. Word of mouth is the best way to grow this podcast and to change lives. That's how the apostles changed the entire world in less than 100 years. Word of mouth. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. Make sure to keep an eye out for next week's episode on what characteristics to look for in a woman of God. I promise you guys it'll be a useful one, okay? Thanks again, and until next time. Thank you for listening to the Biblical Masculinity Podcast. Are you ready to assume the mantle of the biblical man? Join us now at biblicalmasculinity.org and become the man that you were always meant to be.